Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Birdemic or a foul discussion. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Horror Vanguard as um, as you probably know by now, we've been trying throughout this, um, the, the global pandemic that we have all been doing our best to live through. We've been putting out short episodes dealing with um, contagion. Now, um, Ash and I have talked about it. We, we kind of realized that, you know, we were in danger of kind of running out of things to say. So this is going to be the final mini episode for now. We've got some cool new stuff um plan for what we want to do with these shorter episodes but this is going to be the last uh pandemic themed mini episode for a little while um but we have chosen an incredible film to go out on um ash how are you doing i'm i'm doing so good because of the movie we're going to be talking about today <laughs> uh let the people know what are we talking about today what are so, we talking about ash so so when you think about pandemic movies Right. You really want a movie that speaks to our current cultural moment. It's able mm-hmm. to articulate itself. It's it's highly regarded as as one of the most discussed artistic pieces of our time. Um, yep. It's you know it, the title itself is a portmanteau of pandemic. We are talking mm-hmm. about birdemic. Ah, birdemic shock and terror. <laughs> the the I, most I mean, bush era possible name. We have talked about we have talked about some some great films uh, doing this. We talked about Pontypool, talked about Zombieland, and we are talking about Birdemic. This it's a weird show that we do, Ash. <laughs> it's a weird show. Yeah, I do not know how we how we wound up at Birdemic as the closer for our pandemic miniseries. But um, here we are, though. I, what a way to go out! What a, what a way to go out! All right let's let's kind of let's kind of just dive right in and maybe for people who have not seen birdemic how would you kind of describe this to people how would you how would you kind of contextualize this art piece that we are talking about today uh so i would say you simultaneously take alfred hitchcock's the birds and and you you take you take the the uh the dial that says competency and you turn that down to zero and then you take the dial that says interesting and you turn that up to 10. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it is exactly what that implies. <laughs> oh, and, and you do that on a budget of about 65 pence. Oh yeah. Yeah. To- totally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you do that whilst maybe not really knowing how, how to, how to film things. Yeah, it's, it's got that. It's got that like th- that kind of serene grace that the true good bad movies have. Where like, yeah, it's not aware of the fact that it doesn't really know. Like the movie as as an object doesn't know that it doesn't know basic cinematography and and movie language. Yeah, um, and I think this raises a very interesting question, which I know we have kind of talked about before, which is this. Do you think that you can deliberately make a film that is so bad it's good? 
because there are a few films like that you know the, the big famous one is uh probably the room but do you think you can make a film that's so bad that it becomes good again but do that deliberately so i don't i don't think this is something that you can do on on purpose you know because the room the room is like a, a total fluke right it's like a failed serious character movie that like in in marketing they were like oh no it's a dark comedy we're gonna try and save it that way you know and like like i think about like the rest of tommy was stuff where he's just trying to channel that energy and it's like mm. you know like he's got a, tommy was did a tv show that no one ever talks about because it's just like bad <laughs> it's just regular bad i i had literally no idea he'd done a tv show yes and see and that's everyone's reaction to finding out that tommy was did i think i think there's one season of the tv show if i'm remembering correctly but like yeah no one no one knows about it <laughs> i'm not I, I, now that you tell me though i'm not shocked and i'm also not shocked that it was bad and kind of unmemorable because i agree i don't think you can make this kind of film deliberately you that what's kind of it was kind of like genuinely quite lovely about birdemic is that it's clearly made with like deep sincerity by someone who's sort of really believed in in what they were doing but didn't have the the money or the skills or the even the time to kind of like finish it to what we would consider to be like you know high artistic standards um and i don't know about you but personally i find birdemic incredibly encouraging which is like if you have ever thought that you would like to participate in any kind of creative medium you ever thought, you know, I, I want to start a band or I want to make a movie or I want to be a writer. And you, you've immediately thought, uh, oh, but I'm no good. I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> just remember, just remember the film Birdemic exists. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging. I mean, it does. It, war it warms my heart. It warms my heart that Birdemic is in the world. You know, I think I think um, if, if if like aliens landed tomorrow, and and they and they were like Ash, it is up to you to prove that there is hope for humanity. I I, I would just be like, <laughs> I would I would hand them the Birdemic DVD, and I would just be like, this got picked up for international release. Like there there is good in the world, <laughs> right? There there are pure-hearted people who are innocent and who just want. Who who have like have like this like uh, you know like just grace about them <laughs> and who just want the world to be a better place through the mm -hmm. vehicle of Alfred Hitchcock knockoff movies. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then like um, I mean like you know to kind of like close the conversation on like so so good they're bad kind of movies you know like there is a like <clears throat> I don't know like a birdemic knockoff you know called Caw. That it, it premiered on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel. It's like a sci direct to Sci-Fi Channel um, movie, and like it's not bad. It's not that bad, right? <clears throat> but it's also not as as bafflingly strange as um, Birdemic, and it falls into that hole where like, okay, like it's intentionally B, it's intentionally campy, it knows what it's doing, and that makes it way less interesting than the accidental magic that is Birdemic. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. But I th I think that there's one more thing that I think we I need to bring up which is that um we might think from the title that Birdemic would f heavily feature 
uh, birds. <laughs> you would you would think you would think that that you would, be more, wouldn't you? you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but my maybe my favorite thing about this is that basically the first fifty minutes of this feature length film is a sort of like weird. I think romantic comedy in big inverted commas <laughs> about our two main characters before the birds show up. So I think we should talk about our two main characters. We really should. <laughs> um, so our two, our two main characters, we have a Silicon Valley door to door software salesman named Rod. And then, and then we have uh, the fantastic Whitney Moore in in one of her early roles playing Natalie. Whitney Moore would go on to star in um, Yeti, A Love Story, I Had a Bloody Good Time at Harker, at House Harker, Satanic Panic, you know, like a bunch of a bunch of just like quality B horror movies. So this is good. It's a, it's a good cast. <laughs> it, it, a rock solid cast. And um, I'm just saying it now. We're probably going to talk about the Yeti love story at some point in the future. We're probably going to do that. Yes, we are now, in addition to all of the other things that we are doing, uh, we are now launching our Whitney Moore uh, B-Horror Scream Queen spinoff <laughs> podcast called More <laughs> Screams. It's going to be fantastic. Um, how many how many HV spinoffs is that now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that, that that is that is our North Star now. That is our gui- guiding light. More Screams. Yep. I I will be leaving the um, <laughs> Who Killed Pierre Pasolini podcast to be the ho- co-host on that. <laughs> oh man! Uh, and Rom Communism will be going on hiatus whilst we complete more screams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the, the, this this is our two casts, right? Um, our, our two our two main characters, I should say. There are more people in this cast. They had they had enough money for a few more actors. <laughs> just just about. Um, but yeah, like this, the first like 50 minutes of this movie is kind of like this really awkward rom-com between Natalie and Rod. Um, and I don't know if you've ever, there's like the meme of like, um, it's usually like in left Twitter circles where it's like uh, a guy and a girl who are in a couple and the guy looks like some kind of human trash bag and the girl is always <laughs> like incredible. And you're like, what's that about? But this, this is that. But if the guy is like some horrible pickup artist <laughs> and uh, Whitney, who's playing a character called Natalie, uh, who is literally a Victoria's Secret model. <laughs> right. It is, it is, it is the most like, this, this is the most like heteronormative kind of like male gazy fantasy, right? Because um, Rod, Rod's character just looks like the sale racket target. If, if that became a living boy, you know? Mm-hmm. And and like yeah, if that if that grew up and read the game by Neil Strauss, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 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 just like it, it is it is so it is so baffling to me like like the the, gen- the gender dynamics in Birdemic are wind up being accidentally incredibly interesting because they're so simplistic they wind up being like hyper magnified and Rod mm-hmm. has like no charisma there's nothing interesting about him he he's literally he's literally a phone salesman at a software company. Like there's no, mm-hmm. there's no compelling spark, you know, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 it's not even like the, like any of the classic kind of like hammy rom-com plot lines where he's like, he's like, oh, you know, I've just, I've just been running my dad's, you know, auto mechanic company until I can get my first gig as a rock star. Like there's nothing like that yeah. about him. And then Natalie is literally a supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> 
like you know he's he's a sales guy and um the opening sequence to this film is just incredible because it's um it's an establishing shot of um rod parking and going to a diner now an ordinary director you might do that in i don't know three shots that would probably take somewhere between 10 to 15 seconds right to establish what is happening no 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 those those directors are naive children (laughs) what we want what we want is an incredibly long tracking shot that gets like weird and voyeuristic as rod kind of like inches into the diner and then he then follows natalie out and it's supposed to be like this this kind of i I think i think it's supposed to be like this kind of meet cute moment but it just comes off as like a sleazy pickup artist hitting on someone who's just trying to go about their day yeah i think they're um i forget if they met they were college or high school classmates but i think it's supposed to be like that classic rom-com thing where it's like like oh they first met in high school or in college and like there were different people back then and it didn't quite work there was no chemistry but now they're meeting again as adults and and they're like oh they're rediscovering each other but like the way the way Rod is filmed is so unsettling, right? It looks like the camera is is like in somebody's pocket or something. It's in, you're right. It's incredibly voyeuristic. And yeah, then like, like, does he know he's on film on camera right now? I don't think so. So so in this first in this first scene when when we meet Natalie, like there's a very like Rod very very obviously does the whole like complete upper body 180 crane to check her out as she walks out of the diner, and uh. like. Like, like, okay, like, you would expect a cut right there and then a cut to him running outside and being like, oh, Natalie, wait. But, like, we 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 hold on Rod for, like, another straight 10 seconds as he kind of, like, <laughs> debates with himself inside of his own mind about whether or not he's going to commit to being a total fucking creep or not. <laughs> and it's I just, love it's, it. I it's love so, it. so normal. So unsettling, yeah. <laughs> so just very normal, deeply normal behavior. Um and and yet it you know he is the the most boring mate like l- negative amounts of charisma um and the the script is to be charitable written down and presumably given to them <laughs> so so like their conversations have this kind of like weird stilted quality to them um mostly be- as i say mostly because uh, rod is is like a, a charisma void and is like a, 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 a just like the dullest tech bro imaginable but there's and no there's not even have... a character there you know he just he's, he's just a body with dialogue yeah his his character is to dream about being rich and then immediately become rich <laughs> <laughs> that's that's literally what happens yeah, um, mid spot and on. Then, <laughs> and then uh, fifty minutes, nearly an hour into this feature-length film called Birdemic, the birds show up. If someone hasn't seen this film, Ash, how would you describe the birds to them? Um, well, I would describe the birds, Alfred Hitchcock's classic movie, as incredibly interesting, <laughs> artistic, um, but ultimately held back by being just a little bit unexciting. Mm-hmm. Um, if okay, I were to be yeah, describing the birds in Birdemic to someone, I would use words like 
um, CGI plug-in graphic. And um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, like late 2000s fear of, of like latent fear of terrorism and drone warfare mixed together somehow. I think, Ash, when you say CGI, you're being very charitable and I would basically okay. say clip art. Clip art, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but I mean, um, to be fair, the birds are animated. They, they do flap their wings sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my favorite thing, my favorite thing is like the birds in the background of shots don't and they just kind of rotate 360 oh, yeah. degrees. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Um, oh, they're just, they're no, just gliding. Sorry. That's fine. My 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 genuine favorite thing is that when the birds are shot down, um, when um they point the gun at them and uh their gun muzzle flash dot mp4 is put into the frame, um, when the birds are shot down, they they fall to earth with the noise of a plane going right. into a dive. Yep, and then and then they explode. <laughs> yep, and they also spit acid. Let's not forget that they have a superpower. Oh. <laughs> So the, the, these birds are capable of like like dive bombing and exploding on impact, and they also like yep. spit acid somehow. Um, yes, they do, uh, <laughs> and it's amazing. <laughs> it's honestly, it's it's perfect. But let's let's now, so. Oh, what were we gonna say? Well, I was gonna I was gonna get you to kind of talk about this because I know that you have a kind of take about this film and when it came out and you know, environmentalism. And I was wondering if we could kind of talk about that. Oh, I have so many takes. It's just take, take, take with this film. <laughs> I think like this, this is kind of like the good thing. Like there are, there are like two kinds of bad movies. There's bad, interesting, and then there's just bad. And you can't really talk about just bad, but bad, interesting opens so many doors. I think like... Oh, completely. For, for the birds, there are so many interesting things going on, right? You know, like this is this is 2010, right? So, so this is we're we're getting further and further and further from the cultural memory of 9/11, and we're getting deeper, deeper, deeper into this kind of like permanent state of warfare that the United States has been in for for just decades now. And and part of that space is kind of this fear of like these like unknown aerial vehicles, right? Like that's kind of like in the the background of like the creative consciousness here. And like mm. also like you know like fear of planes is still in there right like you know we even see like even movies that have come out in the last few years like that nine eleven that post nine eleven type of destruction like major cities being leveled still coming out of American cinema like we still haven't gone through or gotten past that and I think Bird yeah. Birdemic winds up somehow tapping into like all all of these really <laughs> randomly interesting conversations yeah because because it's a very ostensibly anyway it is um it's a very uh environmentally minded and anti-war film yes because yep. the eagles which spit acid and spin 360 degrees in midair and dive bomb and explode are not the only birds in this film right yeah yeah we have we have a classic political division between uh, uh eagles which are kind of a hawkish bird and then literal doves <laughs> And in the at the end at the end of the movie, the doves come and kind of convince the eagles that the fighting is over, and they fly off into the ocean for some reason. 
I love this film so much. <laughs> Bird, birds who are infamous for flying out to uh, deep water. Like, that is what they absolutely love to do. Birds hate land. <laughs> like, but a well-known fact. A well-known fact. Um, but there, so there are a couple of things happening here that maybe we can kind of like some bigger picture things. So, we, I mean, we could just we could just have, have fun and make some jokes about this until we wrap up. But... There's a couple of things that maybe we should talk about, right? So we've got a very clear environmentalist message in this film, and we've got a uh, a lead character who is heavily ensconced in the extractive capital accumulation of the tech industry. And there is a clear contradiction here in the film, right, that exposes what I think are its pretty liberal politics, which is mainly the idea that, hey tech will save us tech is gonna save us right or am i or am i being a bit too harsh here well i think i think you're spot on and i think the movie is like so there there that we you know the runtime of this movie is approximately like one sixth uh dutch angle shots from the perspective of the passenger seat of a car <laughs> um, that exists for some reason but i think like okay so what does a dutch angle shot do it, it tilts the viewer's perspective it makes you feel uncomfortable. It gets you to look at things in a different way. And the Dutch angle POV from inside of a car, I think, is it's really compelling for this discourse, right? Because, like, it's never good to see Dutch angle inside of a car, you know? That means your car is rolling. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you know, like, cars, car, cars are kind of emblematic of the problem we've had. We've built a society around consumer objects, around the wish, the will and kind of machinations of capital and of money, you know, mm. like like it's it's systemically corrupted, and cars are like one of the strongest emblems of that. And this movie, uh, most likely unintentionally, <laughs> is is really saying like, hey, like we're gonna lock you into a car for forever, right? Because most people's car riding experiences, it's not it's not it's not joy riding a classic muscle car on an open highway. It's like bumper to bumper traffic or your nightmare commute to your hell job. And so, like, mm. the Dutch angle, you know, it, it's it's like, no, like, this thing is horrible and askew. It's uncomfortable. It's on tilt. And, like, phenomenal. I think that phenomenally backs up the point that you're making. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I I think this is maybe kind of worth teasing out. What does, what's the difference between a kind of liberal centrist environmentalism versus a a left radical environmentalism what does that look like well i would say i would say i mean like the the big the biggest distinction is is something that uh we touched on <laughs> just a moment ago and that's um you know the the like a, a liberal perspective where it's like oh just everybody just buy a green car like buy everybody should buy a tesla right mm -hmm. like uh, that that's an individualistic response to a systemic problem Right. If everybody yeah. if everybody bought a Tesla, we there would still need to be slaves strip mining the global south for rare earth minerals. You know, you would still have the like the massive, massive carbon footprint of producing a Tesla. And indeed, in, in certain places in the world, in, in certain states in the United States even, it's actually greener to buy a used gas vehicle than to buy a brand new Tesla and assume you're gonna drive that vehicle until it breaks. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the problem, right? It's, it's this liberal approach is designed to sustain the system because it's a fundamentally conservative approach, right? It's it's a fundamentally capitalist approach, right? It's okay, we need to we need to spend more money, we need to buy more things, we can buy our way out of this. When the left yeah, approach, yeah, we can is, con consume our way out of it. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think the, the, the big difference is that the left approach is like, hey, like, let's, let's actually address these systemic problems. And on top of that, let's realize how they're interconnected. Right. So in, yeah. environmentalism is woven into the fabric of colonialism and racism. And so a, a left approach to these to these issues is like, OK, our, our approach to the environment also needs to be anti-racist and anti-colonial. Yes, absolutely. And this this notion that I think it's a very common notion that actually, oh, we just need to buy. You know, gr greener cars or, <laughs> you know, maybe we all just need to get a super lightweight bike and use that to go and get which does a couple of things it absolves the biggest culprits of any responsibility and it kind of places a huge psychological pressure on the subject right on the individual yes it's no surprise it's no surprise that in the last kind of five years there's been this huge rise in uh, climate anxiety uh, and climate grief mm -hmm. Um, and a huge amount of guilt over uh, over what is not the result of personal choices of consumption, but is the result of systemic, exploitive, extractive capitalism. So, I think I think this is this is the kind of key distinction that we should pick up on, and th that's a distinction that this film doesn't necessarily seem to be aware of or very interested in exploring. But it's in the very text of the film itself. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Like Rod, Rod is a uh, solar panel software salesman guy. Like he's he's in green tech, but yeah. he's he's completely unconcerned with like actually making the world a better place. He just wants more products, you know. Yeah, uh, tech will not save us. No. <laughs> as simple as that. As simple as and that. I mean, like, because look, look, look at what saves everyone in the end. It's 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 more nature. It's it's doves, right? Like like in, in uh, the end, humanity does nothing for its own salvation. It's just nature auto corrects its acid spitting eagles with magic peace doves. <laughs> <clears throat> Which I mean, like that, um, that, that that further speaks to the problem, right? Because like what what do we do and how do we do it is an incredibly complicated conversation and that's a difficult hard to answer hard to explore thing how do we yep. go from our current cultural moment to something where we're more organized right to something where workers have control to something where you know you know like we are you know returning colonized lands to the people who should be in control of them that we're mm -hmm. we're you know degrowing as we need to degrow that we're finding new ways to fulfill our needs that aren't destroying the planet it's hard to have that conversation it's a lot easier to just say magic doves are going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it, it kind of goes, well, there's nothing we could do. You know, mm, yep. if your green yeah, tech doesn't work, you've exhausted all, all options. So your only option is, well, let's run away. Let's retreat. Let's, which is exactly what the rich green tech entrepreneur class are doing anyway they're the ones who are buying up the kind of uh huge tracts of land in in new zealand they're the ones who've got their bolt holes all over rural america so that when climate catastrophe hits they're the ones who think well you know there's nothing we could have done anyway let's run away and i mean like this is literally what rod does in the movie you know like mm -hmm. they're they're, yeah. they're constantly they're constantly fleeing it right they're constantly escaping you know and in in the birds the book um, upon which the movie was made, the, the Daphne du Maurier book. You know, our, our characters are constantly running from the birds, but they're constantly running from the birds because they're like poor working class people in England. 
And yeah. like, what, what the hell are you going to do if you're a poor working class person in England? And all of a sudden, every bird in the country has become like a dedicated war machine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there, there's that there's that fundamental difference between like seeking shelter because you have to and like doing doing what kind of like rich people and what Rod in the movie does. And he like absconds to a like scenic beach area. Mm-hmm. Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Rod is just the worst. Seriously, the worst. Rod is just the worst. Just, just absolutely like, if if you if you want to meet a character that is unintentionally just incredibly fucking loathsome, Rod is like, <laughs> Rod, Rod is a character study. I would recommend Rod like like studying his character if you want to see how to write someone who is just like on every level a total jackass. <laughs> um. Yeah, I could. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, should we should we talk a little bit more about the ending, and maybe we can kind of like try and draw together some of these thoughts on environmentalism and ecology? Yeah, yeah, uh, let's do it. Let's of, do it. I know you wanted to talk about um, like Marxism and ecology and how they connect to Birdemic from twenty ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So traditionally, traditionally, there is a kind of lot of. Uh, thought that would say that Marxists are not necessarily that interested in nature because, you know, labor is the source of all um, wealth. But actually, there is um, a huge amount of work emerging from people like John Bellamy Foster and a whole other um, a group of people, mostly based around the Pacific Northwest uh, in the States, talking about a Marxist ecology or um, like l- Marxist eco-socialism. Uh, and a more totalized view, a bigger, more expansive view of the various systems of production, circulation, and exchange that we exist within. And that includes uh, our relationship and, and and involvement with the natural world, right? It's very easy to set up a f- kind of false dichotomy between the natural world, nature, and society, or nature and humans. And this is what the film does, right? Because what do we do is we pull out the pull out the automatic rifles and start shooting the birds when they turn <laughs> up. So that's an antagonism. But if you kind of have a, a, a world systems view and you see actually we are there is no there is no distinction because one we are natural creatures anyway, and two we are bound up in. Uh, bound up with and in many ways dependent upon the larger biospheres in which we exist then you can have a much more kind of holistic approach to this question right yeah completely and like like the, the kind of like broader spectrum of left theory is like on it like been talking about this for a while you know yeah. like if you go back to like kropotkin and like I'm going to paraphrase Reclue here, but I know Reclue said something to the effect of the way we treat nature is a reflection of the way we treat each other. And that was in the 1800s. And it's like, like we've kind of like always <laughs> recognized that this change needs to be made, that our relationship with nature is not correct. Yeah. And, and it's not correct, not because of anything that individual people have chosen or decided to do but because of the historical evolution of how capitalism operates. I mean, I, and like to see a really good example of this, I would encourage people to like look up interviews with striking coal miners uh, when, when they're asked about like environmentalism. Mm-hmm. 
and and you know like you you'll see a lot of people who are like really unhappy with the fact that they're stuck in a situation where in order to put food on their table they have to destroy their home you know like the 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 wonderful natural landscape that they've been in right like nobody likes pollution <laughs> besides people who yeah. have a vested interest in this kind of like colonial expansionist capitalism staying in place but pollution bad there's my hot take there yeah as as is individualized guilt and blame for systemic issues which is the big political move of neoliberal capitalism because what they then get to do is offer you a consumptive personalized choice to rectify something that was never your fault to begin with yeah yeah and it's it's also it's also the classic uh false choice thing that you do with kids right you know like you don't you don't go to a an eight-year-old and say pick whatever movie you want to watch and we'll watch it you go to an eight-year-old mm-hmm. and, and you say, like, okay, we can watch Spider-Man or we can watch Frozen, two movies that I already am okay with watching, but now you feel like you have a choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I guess that's, that's pandemic. <laughs> Is there, was there anything more that you wanted to, to add? Anything, anything else that we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to talk about? I just think it's, I think the last thing I would want to say is I think it's really interesting that this movie chose to kind of imbue birds with weaponized power, where, whereas like a lot of other incarnations of the birds of the movie, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. like, like conceptually, all these riffs on Daphne du Maurier's work, like the, the birds, maybe they're infected with a disease or something, but outside of that, they're just birds. And it's kind of the horror of confronting it's 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 really really what it is it's the horror of confronting an organized nature you know like what if nature did direct action that's kind of like part of the tension in the birds but i think it's interesting that this movie weaponizes them and it, and it, yeah. it militarizes the conflict right because our all of our heroes like they, they meet up with a military guy so now everybody's got like assault rifles and they all know how to use them for some reason and like <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's never it's never brought up why like everybody from all different walks of life it's like oh yeah so of course we went to we're, we're we're in america we can all handle assault weapons um yeah but then like it's 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 less a conflict about the wrongs we've done to the natural world and it's more a conflict about continuing this kind of like hegemonic military dominance yes and just waiting for well, actually, thinking about it, based on what you've just said, maybe this gives us another way of rethinking the ending. Oh, no. <laughs> go, you, go You've just, you, like, a door has opened in my mind. My brain has ascended. Um, if this film is about the weaponization of nature, or rather a nature that is not only indifferent, but hostile to us, which is actually pretty true of nature generally in huge parts of the world, um, maybe what we're getting to see here is a glimpse of a world that is removed from anthropocentrism in that ending what solves it is nothing to do with human agency we are completely insignificant and powerless what happens is there 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 is a a kind of movement of being that doesn't involve us so maybe maybe that's a way of just removing some anthropocentrism from how we kind of think about the ending. I don't know. What do you think? I never would have put 2010's Birdemic in conversation with like, like all, all of these, all of these attempts to, to de-seat <laughs> ontology from anthropocentric <laughs> worldviews. 
but but now I am here for like birdemic oriented ontology. This is incredible. <laughs> just just a kind of mind blowing take there for you at the end. This, this has this has to be this has to be where it where it ends. <laughs> what else is left to say? These pandemic episodes have been have been. I found them really fun, and I hope. Um, listening to them has in some small way helped uh, helped you wherever you are in the world whatever you're dealing with has helped you kind of process um some of the uh the the collective horror that we are all living through yeah or at the very least been a pleasant and mildly informative distraction well thank you so much everybody for listening to this pandemic mini uh episode hey hey john, pandemic- john would, i think i see something in the sky above the, the hv crypt what is that Hang on, I, I, I don't know, but whatever it is, it's rotating 360 degrees whilst remaining completely motionless. Oh God, no, John, run! No, no! Okay, yeah, that's going to be perfect.